And welcome back to the First Cut Podcast with Kyle Porter, Monday morning, March 4th. Uh, that's Kyle Porter. I'm Chip Patterson. Kyle, we've had uh, the everyone took their stab at the bear trap. We had swirling winds. We talked going into the tournament about how it is one of the events that does end up being one of the toughest. We don't see 22 under win, but we did see some birdies. We had a fantastic leaderboard, and you might know him as Kevin Mitchell if you watch the broadcast, but it's Keith Mitchell. Uh, who comes out of nowhere, 15-and-a-half-foot birdie putt to win the tournament. He bests Ricky Fowler, and we'll we'll get into both of the superstars here, I'm sure, in a little bit. Uh, Ricky Fowler made a good charge on Sunday. Brooks Kepka made a charge on Sunday. Lucas Glover made a charge on Sunday. And Ryan Palmer started it all by dropping a 63 early in the day. Uh, how, How are you feeling after a very, very eventful Sunday at the Honda? Well, it, it was eventful, and I think you go into weeks like Tory and Riviera and Mexico, and you're like, okay, well, we're going to get some storylines. I don't know what they're going to be, but they're like, there's no way we're not going to get storylines. And then you go into Honda, and you're like, okay, three of the top ten, six of the top twenty-five. I guess we we might get some storylines, and then it's as if the, it's as if you got every single high profile storyline that there was like how many how many different things could come out of honda that would be interesting i I don't know what the number was but you got all of them no your your storyline hit rate was much higher here than it has been at any of the high profile tournaments that we had on the california swing totally And, and you got you got jt in the usga you got Ricky closing you got kept you know the the new voice kepka playing great you got uh, kind of a feel good winner you got vj singh content i mean it was it was it was a really kind of a fun weekend for what i think a lot of people thought would be the the quote unquote kind of break in this four or five week stretch of uh, just a ton of golf and uh and yeah forgive me for not mentioning the great vj singh who made his his held the 54 hole lead 36 hole lead uh, he was one back, I think, going into Sunday. I can't remember if he was leading after after two rounds. He was he was basically right there the last three rounds. He kind of took over after Ernie Els was within two on Thursday, which that Thursday feels like it was a month ago. Uh, but yeah, he he played uh, he played great. He's, I mean, it it's it's crazy. I think that my my takeaway from VJ and Shane Bacon was talking about this a little bit. He's got 34 PGA Tour wins, and I think that's easy to forget. And I kind of compared it to, you know, the other four kind of high-profile names that were on top of the leaderboard, and and Kepka, Fowler, Sergio, and and JT. Those guys have, I think I said 29 combined, and uh, those are some. You know, Sergio's had a pretty full career, and and JT's obviously, you know, those other three guys are a little younger, but, and but they've played a lot more events, so. I think what VJ did over the course of his career, I think he goes a little bit unnoticed and, and maybe underappreciated. Maybe so. I think that uh, I don't know if history or golf fans will necessarily hang their hat on this, but as I've uh, continued to study the game and, and you know try try to take my my fan experience from a lifetime of, of playing and loving the game to learning more about it, hosting this podcast, uh, helping out at CBSSports.com, and the time. Where v- the fact that VJ Singh was the player that disrupted the the long Tiger Woods streak of being number one player in the world holds some significance to me, just because of uh, in this long era of dominance, 
the, he had set the bar so high, no one else in the game of golf was going to be able to get up there and reach his level. And there were some, you know, some of that's going to be on Tiger Woods himself, but to isn't it in like the, it's around the mid-2000s, right? 2004, 2006, Am I right yeah. about that? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. We had a we had a long conversation here on the podcast about you know being number one in the world and and how insane it's been that Tiger's been the number one player so many more weeks than anyone else. And so because VJ Singh was able to disrupt Tiger at the height of his powers, that to me is is sort of the place where I always hang him along with being you know a major championship winner along with as you mentioned just a, a stupid number of PGA Tour wins that. In an era when it felt like no one else could chase the greatest golfer of all time, Vijay Singh got him at least for a couple of weeks, and so uh, I th- I think that 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 to me will always be the thing that I, I carry in conversations when we're talking about Vijay Singh moving forward. Yeah, totally. And I think some people look at Vijay and they're like, oh, well, he did it in this different era; it was easier, and whatever. And it's like, well, if you're saying that about VJ, you also have to apply it to Tiger. And right. I, th- I think there is some validity to that. I don't think it was as competitive in 2003 as it is in 2019. Uh, and we we don't need to go back over that. We talked about it a hundred times. But uh, I just 34 PGA Tour wins, man. That's I mean, is Justin Thomas going to get there? Is DJ going to get there? Spieth? Rory, I mean, that's a lot of wins in any era. And I don't know. It was kind of cool. I, I thought it was hilarious. I, I, I saw uh, Chris Solomon tweeted about this, but I, I noticed it uh, throughout the day on Sunday. People were like legitimately rooting for VJ Singh Again, like in, in, a, in a real PGA Tour event. It was it was it was crazy. Like people people have historically not liked him and people were kind of into it just because of his age and. Uh, at just the kind of the unique nature of somebody that old winning a or potentially winning a PGA Tour event. I will argue that that is uh, applicable across all sports. In golf, I think that we've seen it with Sergio Garcia recently, where the longtime yeah. villain has all of a sudden taken on this fan favorite personality. But I think I think that if you are able to stick around for long enough, even if you were uh, sort of the villain character within the you know WWEification of all sports but you know in the narratives and as the player uh in in the sport if you are a villain if you stick around long enough by the time you're doing by the by the time you're going around and doing your farewell tour everyone's doing a thank you Kobe thank you D Wade video montage in every visiting arena doesn't matter you know who you are or how many times you ripped out that team's heart there is something about longevity that I think is appreciated across all sports and I think people like to be in on like, oh, I, I know who VJ is. Like, that's how big of a golf fan I am. Like, oh, I really? Remember when, I remember when mm. VJ was, was winning majors, stuff like that. So what? Uh, so it's never going to get better than Bruce Springsteen either? <laughs> <laughs> you new guys with your rock and roll. You don't understand exactly. what real like, rock and roll is. Seriously, though, people are like, oh, well, I, I remember. And, and I think that like, I don't know. Why are we talking about Vijay Singh when when uh, Brooks Kepka and and Fowler and and uh, JT were all prominently involved this weekend? Because it's fun, and because we're here <laughs> about the fun. Vijay Singh had a moment. All right, so I I put this on on my notes. Do you think Vijay Singh will win uh, another PGA Tour event? Do you think he will no. get one more? No. No. Okay. No. Um. Do you think that he's going to challenge Bernard Langer 
for king of the champion store? No. Ooh, is that because of Longer's dominance? Yeah. I how VJ's what? 56 Longer 60 60? VJ said this week that the success um at Honda is not going to make him change his plans. He has been in a slow transition to going from uh, the PGA Tour to the Champion Store, and pretty much all the way transitioned over to the Champion Store at this point. He, I mean, he does have that kind of psychopathic like desire to compete and win in the same way I think Longer does. But I don't know. I mean, and, and I don't, I don't totally remember the the transition for Longer from the PGA Tour to the to the or the European Tour to the champ to the PGA whatever we're calling it the Senior Tour. Uh, but it's it hasn't been. I mean, how many how many champions tour wins does VJ have? A couple. Yeah, I think so. I, I I just don't feel like it's been as maybe smooth as as uh, Longer's transition. All right, let's get on to the uh, the golfers that are under the age. <laughs> I mean, forget under the age of fifty, under the age of forty, under the age of thirty. Well, I guess Ricky yeah. Fowler is thirty years old now, right? Yeah. Um. Okay. So we saw something really, something that I think was um, exciting for fans of Ricky Fowler, and it's him totally, totally mocking the drop process. It was it was unbelievable. So this is is JT part of Jupe Life too? Yeah, they're both Jupe Life. Yeah, hashtag. I, I think I think that all of all of the homeboy all of the hometown boys coming out and uh, causing and just feeling really comfortable. Ricky Fowler makes the Sunday charge in a way like we've got a colleague who always tries to say that things are typical and like if if Ricky is typical then he's going to be messing up. So I I wrote this down. This was an atypical Ricky Sunday, and I think that is something that Ricky Fowler fans should be excited about. Well, it, it was interesting. It reminded me of the Players' Championship, obviously, in 15, uh, when he closed with whatever it was, five birdies. and He played the last six and five under or whatever. And you saw him. It, it was weird, though, because, you know, he started – I mean, if, if you watch the front nine on Sunday, he started hitting it badly. He, he hit a shot on number seven, the par three, that was probably 35 yards short of, of the – it looked like he laid up to a par three. Goodness. As someone as someone who has laid up uh, to a par three before, uh, I I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like, <laughs> and that's what it looked like he did. He just started hitting it terribly, and and I think the part that's hard for me is it's not like on the back that he was just locked in, like hitting it to six feet and making putts. He hit uh, putts of forty five feet, twenty two feet, sixteen feet. And uh, the one on 18 was a seven footer. So that, that was pretty, you know, that, that's a that's a putt you should probably make if you're Ricky Fowler in that position. So I'm not trying to take away from what he did, but I, I also feel like, I mean, how many how many times are you going to make all those putts? Right. You know, like how likely is it that you're making a 45 footer, a 22 footer and a 16 footer just to get yourself in position to maybe make it into a playoff? I thought I thought what he did on the front. I was kind of disappointing just the way he was hitting it. Mm. Uh, so I, yes, you're right. It was, uh, and, and, and we get with, so we start to do this thing with guys that are popular and guys we talk about a lot where we almost get too, 
too deep into it to where you're like, oh, well, the, the you, kind of the backlash to the backlash right. or whatever. Like, I'm going to be quick that, to defend Ricky Fowler after uh, he does end up in the mix, coming down the stretch, trying to, to go and win this thing only because we've spent so much time talking about him fading on Sundays. Yeah, so I don't I don't want to I mean obviously he made the putts. I just think that not all scoring is is created equally, right? Like I I think that I think that people look at putting and ball striking as equivalent, but they're 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 not. Like you you putting is is to me it's just more based on luck than ball striking is and he didn't hit it that way I mean he hit it okay at times but I, I thought that he had some really leaky shots on Sunday in a, in a spot where you know you'd like to see somebody like him take control of the tournament I so, say all this he shot a, he shot a 67 he shot a 67 so it, was, <laughs> it wasn't nothing uh, but I, I did feel like there was opportunities that he he maybe didn't take advantage of okay so who gets the uh, I don't have your grades pulled up I apologize but who gets the better grade or um you know who who gets the gold star between him and Brooks Kepka because Brooks Kepka admitted himself he didn't hit the ball very well but he putted it really well and he was very happy with the way that he putted uh, at the Honda he finishes on Sunday with a 66 his best round of a week that was for the most part pretty consistent from a, a scoring perspective like between Fowler and Kepka who are you coming away feeling like uh you know, if you were coaching them both, who gets the MVP or the game ball? Uh, I guess Kepka. I mean, I don't know. They finished with the same score. I, I felt more more confident with Kepka's. You know, Fowler makes the triple on Thursday, and then he's making all these putts from off the green on Sunday. Like it just it his feels more up and down than Kepka's. Kepka's feels uh, steadier. I guess. Sure. I don't know. I say that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the so Kapka did not hit the ball very well. He was putting well, but he's got that confidence that uh, I, you know, I I think about it as a, a status that you applied to Rory McIlroy years ago when we started, which is, um, I think with Rory, you said if he's putting, he should be able to win. Well, Brooks Kapka says himself, he said, if if I'm doing one thing well, I can win any. I can. I can be in contention and win any golf tournament. And he felt like uh, the putter was the only thing that he was doing well this week. And the confidence that he has continued to uh, to show, at least in, in interviews and in commentary about his game, and he's talking about playing it forward and thinking about getting his game in shape for the Players' Championship and for Augusta. I, I was... Um, you know, I, I, as we mentioned at the beginning of the the calendar year, I'm kind of I'm kind of buying up some of this Brooks Kepka stock, thinking that he might he might actually turn around and do this and and end up as the alpha by the middle of the calendar year. So I'm I I think that in that narrative and in that arc, I I think that those are those are exciting words to hear, and this is pretty um, pretty solid and strong play as we continue to move forward in the schedule. I just I, I feel like coming down the stretch, like I know where Brooks Kepka is hitting it, and I'm not totally sure where Fowler's going to hit it. <laughs> That's fair. And, and I don't like, and I, and I, I, I want to frame this properly because I think I think Fowler's a great player, and he's been he's been terrific this year. Like I'm not I'm not saying that. I, I just I don't know. I I just I'm just saying what I see and what I feel when I'm watching them. What about Ryan Palmer? 
Are we just going to – did Ryan Palmer 63 in tough conditions on a tough course – did that end up just getting swallowed up because then he was later... I mean, Lucas Glover ended up being able to push it lower. Then Kepka pushed it lower. Fowler pushed it lower. And then, of course, the Mitchell report gets it done. Uh, any 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 takeaways for Palmer 63 early in the day? Yeah, so Palmer 63 at the... So at the end of the season, guys that are deep in the stats game, like, like uh, Justin Ray, Jake Nichols, some of those guys they'll put out this list of best rounds of the year based on strokes gained against the rest of the field. And so you'll see like uh, Ken Duke at the players a couple years ago, he gained like 11 strokes on the field uh, when he shot a 65 and the field average was like a, like legitimately a 76. Goodness. I, I remember Sung Kang a couple years ago, he shot a 61 at Pebble on a day when the field average was like 72. He actually, I think he might have shot it at Monterey. Uh, and then, you know, you, you'll just, uh, Brant Snedeker at Torrey, he shot uh, 68 and the field average was 79 or something. So you'll see these rounds and you're like, oh yeah. Like it might it might not be the most impressive number, but against the field average, it's, it's astounding. And I think Palmer's round will end up on one of those lists at the end of 2019 where you look back and you're like, Oh yeah, he gained eight strokes on the field that day at Honda when it was, it was tough conditions and nobody was really going low. I mean, his, his round was three better than everybody else in the field and four better than all but two guys. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive and I don't know if it was less impressive cause he did it early, um, and not super in contention, but it was pretty cool. Um, we will get in. We've got some some potential warring with one of the great stars of golf and some of the five families. We'll get into that and more right after this. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I, I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, they've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now, here's what you can do for four our listeners. Uh, first-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Those numbers do not add up 
to me, and I know it can be confusing, the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple, and that's where Superfeet comes into play. These Superfeet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most, and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. So Justin Thomas has uh he has been an an outspoken um voice for the players in golf right now. I think that some of that probably comes from his upbringing. I think some of that probably comes from his personality. And some of it comes because he has shown the success and the talent at a very young age to be well-positioned to have his voice heard. People are going to ask him questions. And Justin Thomas does not seem very afraid with uh, you know, sharing what he thinks about uh, anything, really. Now, what we've got is a, a run-up of Justin Thomas in before the the tournament he comes out in his pre-tournament press conference and he continues to be critical about some of the changes that have been made uh, to the rules of golf the the rules of golf were they've been working on these changes we've addressed them briefly some of them it's a little bit in the minutia so i think that i'm probably more interested in the the personalities and the the moving pieces of this Kyle but now he erupts in the middle of the tournament, goes on social media. Um, you know, he, he requests that the USGA starts communicating with the players better. And then someone from the USGA PR office pops off. Justin, comma, we need to talk. You've canceled every meeting we've planned with you, but we are reaching out again. We were at the first five events and tournaments last year. And your tour has had a seat at the table for seven years. We'd love nothing more than to give you a seat. Call us. Sounds like somebody doing a bad uh, Dwight Schrute impression. (laughs) (laughs) It is like I and this was at 5.53 p.m. on Saturday, you know, sort of end of the round. And I I think that. There was, and, and the USGA uh, director of rules has come out and offered statements, not um, mostly in line, maybe not as aggressive, but like, is this is this soft skin from the USGA? Is this just uh, you know playing with words, like Justin Thomas needling uh, the USGA in a way that Phil Mickelson has done for his entire career, or you know you combine it with Ricky Fowler mocking the new drop rule? Are we dealing with a certain set of changes where the backlash could be so strong that we see a, re- a reversal in the letter of the law? Uh, by the way, first of all, uh, Ricky Fowler, not to go back to him, but I'm going to go back to him. Uh, average proximity to the hole on Sunday, 49 feet, 65th in the field. That's kind of what I'm referencing. Um, sorry, I, I should have looked that up earlier. But <laughs> In terms of JT, you know, the thing that I was thinking about, Chip, 
uh, as it relates to this is this feels like, so I got some quotes I'm going to read to you here in a second, but this feels like golf's version of what we've seen in the NBA and the NFL in terms of player empowerment, right? We've seen that, that trend over the last five or 10 years. And I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I, I think, I think there's both good and bad in it. Uh, but that, that's sort of what it feels like is happening with all this rules stuff is you see players suddenly noticing that because of the culture that we live in, like this celebrity culture, maybe this has always been true, but I think it's more true in 2019 than it used to be. They have a ton of power and they have, I, I I don't know that the, the balance of power has shifted away from organizations like the USGA to the players, but it, it might have, and I don't know if we'll ever truly be able to tell that, uh, I just think that they view it as as that it has. And maybe maybe that's always been true. I haven't covered golf for 50 years. I, I don't know. But I think you're seeing that in the way that some of these guys talk. And it goes, I mean, for me, it goes back to uh, 16 at Oakmont. Uh, Rory, you know, tagging the USGA while DJ's ball is in the air on 18 as he wins. Like getting on, like hopping on Twitter and just firing one off at the USGA. Like... I, I just think they have so much disdain for some of these organizations and some of that's some of that's fair. Like I, I think the USGA has done things that uh it doesn't the USGA I think likes to likes to be the star a lot of times. And I don't know that that's what's going on with, with some of the rules stuff here. But so uh, is, has the rules change only become the new battlefield for just the ongoing war between golf stars and the United States Golf Association? Yeah, I think that's well said. And I, I want to read you these quotes uh, to kind of uh, hone in on what I'm talking about. So Ernie Ellis was asked about this, uh, this entire thing. And he said, these guys have been writing the rules. So he's talking about the USGA. These guys have been writing the rules for us for a long time. So we have to abide by it. Whenever there's change, there's going to be a difference of opinion, and the guys just have to get over it and get on with it now. These guys are a little bit more important and a little bit more powerful than the player. So he's talking about the USGA being more important, more powerful than the player. I don't believe, I don't believe in the warm and fuzzy relationship. They make the rules. They are the creators of the game. They should be the strong man. They shouldn't be making friends out here. We are professionals. We will come and go. We will come and go, but they have to protect the game and that entity. And so, so I was on golfchannel.com. Randall Mel wrote a, wrote an uh, article about kind of everything that's going on. I, I think, so I think what I'm getting at there, Ernie Els is an older player. He's been around for a long time. I, I think this is the maybe chasm that you see between younger and older players. I'm not saying all older players side with Els. You saw some quotes from Jim Furyk and Zach Johnson who are both older that sided with JT. But I, I do think that there's, some of the younger players just saying, hey, like I'm I'm more not bigger than the USGA, not bigger than the game, but more powerful in, in the present moment. And they are like, that's a true thing. Right. And so I don't I don't know. I don't know what the eventual outcome is. I don't know. I don't know how the, all this plays out because they don't have any collective bargaining agreement. Right. Like there's no, um, you know, with, within the context of disputes with a, a Le'Veon Bell or an Antonio Brown uh, or someone else in the NFL, there is always the the overarching 
concern or questions about uh, the players versus the owners. And in the NBA, you know, as the the players are starting to realize their own agency and uh, what they can do in terms of free freedom of movement, moving around and, you know, really all of a sudden hamstringing franchises like that's that's also going to come up the next time that there's any kind of collective bargaining or, or labor negotiations. And there isn't there isn't any place for that in golf, is there? Yeah, and and part part of me loves what the USGA is kind of doing here because who who in these guys' lives ever like claps back at them? Mm. Right? No, and I'm not talking, absolutely. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the tweet. I'm talking about sort of everything that the USGA is about. Now, I don't know with the rule stuff. I'm kind of like, is this really that? Like I just I, I before we hopped on here, I was in my shed trying to like mimic what it would be like to drop a ball from my knee or from like knee height. Chip, it's not that hard. <laughs> like I, I don't. I, now, should you be allowed to drop from your shoulder or your knee? Yeah, sure. I yeah, that's it's dumb. I guess that you can't. But I don't understand why everybody's so. There's so much like do you remember Bryson trying to drop at the Sony in Hawaii? Or maybe it was at, at uh Hunt or at uh Kapalua. It was like be be more unathletic. Right. Like what are you doing? Like just just bend from your waist and drop the ball from your knee. Why is it that hard? I I don't understand that. The now mo- I, I, I think but I think what you said is true. Like this is the this is sort of the new battlefield upon which this is playing out. It's like the it's it's almost like the 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 players have been given a, a pre U.S. Open battlefield upon which to take shots at the USGA. Yep. And yep. has the communication between the USGA and players ever been, or at least from the time I've been covering golf, ever been good? No, not really. But I also sort of identify with what Else said of like. Hey, they're they're in charge. They're the ones that are in charge of protecting the game. We are not bigger than the game, and I think that that is, I think that's pretty interesting. And I honestly, I think that guys like JT and Ricky would agree with that, uh, sort of as a, as a baseline. But they also want, uh, I think they just want the USGA to to listen and not to feel like the USGA is out to get them. Because it, it sort of feels like that's what it's always been about with the USGA. How much of that is inherited from just sort of the existing relationship? Like, is it, is it, I don't know much about the inner workings of the USGA. How much of, uh, like, is, is there, is that just going to be an anti- antagonistic relationship? And does it extend to the PGA Tour? Because in the USGA tweet, he said, and your tour has had a seat at the table for seven years. What does that <laughs> yeah, mean? That was, that was kind of a, uh, there might've been a little subtext there. It was or a subtweet within a tweet. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that means. I, I think that, I think the PGA tour <clears throat> rightfully so loves to protect its guys and do kind of whatever they want. I mean, and, and to be fair, like it is their tour. Like it's the, it's, it's those guys are the stars of that tour and they get to kind of set the ground rules or whatever. Uh, and I think that the USGA kind of 
um, thumbs their nose at that sometimes and says, look, this is like, you guys are not like golf. And, and the problem, I think the players view it as the USGA saying the USGA is bigger than you guys. But I think the USGA views it as golf is bigger than you guys. The history of the sport is bigger than you guys. And I think that's where a lot of this gets lost in translation and, and it creates some of the controversy that you see. Okay. I like, I'm, I'm glad that we've talked our way through this because I, it helps me realize and convey the point to anyone else who's asking. It ain't really about the specific rule changes. It's not about your caddy standing behind you. It's not about, uh, where you drop it from. It's just about power and respect. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And you know who, who I think is, and I want to be careful here in, in the way that I talk about this, but I think an interesting uh, kind of juxtaposition here is is Augusta National. So we talk about the all the kind of power players involved. I think, I think players look at Augusta National and they just, I don't know, they have... More of a reverence, for sure. Yeah, and more of a respect just because I think there's better communication there and... To be fair, like Augusta National is not necessarily making rules. They're they're not their tentacles aren't as uh, deep into these players' lives as the USGA's are. Um, but I, I I think that they, I think that Augusta is more in the middle. If the PGA Tour is on the extreme side of on the player side, and they see the USGA as being on the other end of the spectrum, Augusta National is more in the middle. I don't know where the PGA of America fits in. Uh, I, I think they've done a pretty good job communication wise as well, but I also think they sort of, I don't know, pander to the players a little bit more, which is fine. Like I'm not against that. I mean, we've, you know, we see that in the way that PGA championships are set up, right? Like they're, they're easier. They're come and get uh, it boys. Yeah. yeah which is, that's, that's totally fine. I'm yeah. not against that. Uh, I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I think Augusta National does a good job of kind of staying in the middle there. Interesting stuff. Uh, any Anything else from PGA National that you want to make sure we highlight? Uh, no, I just, I mean, the leaderboard down the stretch was just ludicrous. I mean, I, I screenshotted at one point and it was like, you couldn't pick six more random names to be tied for the lead. Yeah, this uh, the six-way tie that included Ricky Fowler, uh, so what was it? it was Ricky Fowler, Brooks Kepka, Lucas Glover, Ryan Palmer, Ryan Palmer, VJ, and uh, uh, Mitchell K K H Lee or H K. What was his name? I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, I already botched it. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, H K Lee, uh, who ended up T seven. And then Wyndham Clark, poor Wyndham Clark, the last guy to tee off is just not even, not even in the mix. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was just sitting in awe of what, what the, the names that were, uh, that were tied atop the leaderboard. It was, it was pretty incredible. Well, congrats to Keith. My name's not Kevin Mitchell. <laughs> you started the week T one Oh two in the FedEx cup. And now you're top 20 after claiming a W at the Honda Classic in Palm Beach. Um, it's into the Masters. Wow. Go get it. Go and get it. Um, all right. He is Kyle Porter. You can follow him on Twitter at KylePorterCBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back later this week so that we can take a look ahead 
to Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Kyle, thank you very much. Thanks, Chip. <laughs>